1: Hey guys, we are on our last Encore episode. I really hope you have enjoyed these last few weeks of some oldies but goodies within the podcast, some of our most loved, most listened to, and most valuable episodes from the past over 100 episodes. I'd like to start out by first of all thanking you guys. You are the reason this podcast has been such a success and I truly appreciate you trusting me with your time. And really that's not something that I take lightly. You know, time is a commodity. We don't have a ton of it. So the fact that you are putting my podcast on when you're driving to work or running errands or multitasking at home, by the way, that's why I love podcasts, love the multitasking. But the fact that you are giving me some of that time really means a lot. And I truly hope that this podcast has brought value to your life, has been enjoyable to listen to and have given you some great action action items to implement in your classroom or in your home. So let's talk about our latest Encore episode. I'm throwing it back to episode 62. This title has a lot of alliteration. It's Tips for Tolerating Transitions. Transitions are hard. Transition, transitions are hard for adults, for kids, for everyone. And we know that transitions can be particularly challenging for our learners. There's a lot that goes into looking at why transitions are difficult because Transitions are typically leaving something to go somewhere else and it may be leaving a highly preferred activity to go to a less highly preferred activity, which let's be honest, none of us like doing that. If someone's like, hey, go ahead and turn off Real Housewives so you can fold the laundry, you're not excited about that transition. So we want to look at what things we can do to help teach the skill of transitioning. Because this is a skill that our kids have to learn and we're their teachers. Whether you are a parent or a clinician, you are their teacher. And just like we teach the skills of reading and writing and math, we need to teach this skill. Not just say, oh, well, Johnny doesn't transition. Guess he just doesn't do that. No, this is an essential life skill that all of our learners need to be successful and we can help make that happen. So let's get over to episode 62, Tips for Tolerating Transitions, and dive into some specific ways we can help teach this new skill. So, today, let's talk about transitions. If you are a special education teacher or a parent of a child with special needs, or really just a parent of any child, you have probably been in the situation where your child or your student has had a hard time handling a transition. Transitions are hard especially when it's transitioning from a preferred activity to an unpreferred activity. I mean, that's hard for me and you. If I have to turn off Bravo to go do the dishes, I'm not feeling happy about it. So the first step to helping our students work through transitions is viewing transitioning as a skill that needs to be taught. Our kids are not landing up at our doorsteps, fully capable of this skill. Just like we have to teach them reading and math and all these other things, transitioning is something we have to teach them. They have not learned this through osmosis or through observing their peers. They might not have been ever directly taught this skill. So when we come in hard, I'm like, you got to know how to do these transitions and this is what's expected as a fifth grader, yada, yada, yada. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never been taught this skill. So I think that mindset shift first really helps on viewing, okay, this is a skill deficit that I need to teach this child in the same way I would teach any academics. Approach it with the same rigor and thoroughness that we approach our academic instruction. So I'm going to share my seven tips for teaching students to tolerate transitions. Most of these are going to be on the proactive side. So these are antecedent-based interventions, things we do before the transition even comes. We'd all like to avoid any problem behavior. So if we go heavy on those proactive antecedent interventions, we're just hoping that those problem behaviors never come. But I'm also going to talk about a few strategies when those problem behaviors do happen during a transition, how we can respond appropriately. So the first one is gonna be an obvious one, but I've gotta say it. You've gotta have a schedule and you've gotta have a schedule that's appropriate for that learner. If your learner is not yet a reader, his schedule should not be all words because that is not accessible to him. A schedule that was written in Japanese for me would not be accessible. I would need some visuals to go along with that. I would need an English translation to go along with that. So we want something that's accessible to our learner. We also need an individual schedule because our classrooms tend to be so diverse as far as skill level and our kids are often doing different things at different times, a group schedule may not be accessible to them. Because for our group schedule, we might just go to like the middle. Like, okay, let's just do visuals with simple words. Well, maybe some of your kids need real photos. Maybe some of your kids need a color-coded schedule. Maybe some of your kids need to be able to interact and move those pieces. So that group schedule on the wall may not be helpful. So you want to really think about what's going to be the most beneficial for your students. And then with a schedule, and I can't stress this enough, Just prepping it and setting it out is not enough. You have to teach the schedule and you have to use the schedule every day. And it might take a while to really teach how to utilize that schedule and that's okay. So you want to model how to use it. You want to provide feedback when the student uses it. You want to always go to that schedule in every transition. This is an essential proactive antecedent-based intervention because now the student knows when transitions are coming and checking their schedule is part of their routine and routines are calming, guys. Like I love a routine. So if my routine is I know a transition's coming, I go check my schedule, I see what's next, okay. A lot of that anxiety that's associated with transitioning of I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing next, is it gonna be a preferred activity, an unpreferred activity, All of that's gone because there's now a routine and there's a way for your student to understand what is coming next. So we don't want any transition that is a surprise. We want it all to be planned. We want it all to be expected. If there are novel transitions like it's picture day or there's a change in the schedule, now we have a tool that we can utilize to support that novel transition. Sometimes I see students who maybe stop using their schedule in the middle of the year. The teacher says, oh, they don't need it anymore. And I still really advocate having that schedule accessible and available, even if the student doesn't check it in between every transition because they have that schedule memorized we still want to have that schedule accessible to them because of those novel transitions. You know, the pep rally or, you know, the canceled art class, the substitute teacher. So we can put that in their schedule and they have a tool to work through those unknown or quote-unquote surprise transitions. So number two is we want to give processing time. When we have this, you know, kind of more rigid schedule and we have a lot to accomplish, it's easy to kind of rush our kids through things. And I am super guilty of this. But we want to give the processing time when the student approaches a transition to look at their schedule, to see what's coming next. When we're like, hey, look, you have art. Go, go, go. Grab your schedule. Grab your piece. Let's go. That processing time to really look at what's next, think about what that looks like, think about what the expected behaviors are. We're not giving that that opportunity. So make this really a goal with you and your team to pause, to count to five in your head, to let your student pick up their own schedule piece or cross off their own schedule component and to start to really do those transitions more independently, but that will also give them that time to really process what's coming next in the transition. Number three is if you have a student that really struggles with making transitions, especially it's from that preferred to unpreferred. So, you know, leaving the iPad to go do an academic activity. As much as possible, offer choices. When we're leaving that iPad activity or break time, hey, do you want to go do a game with Miss Sarah or do you want to go do speech time with Miss Julie? And yeah, obviously we can't always like change the schedule a ton, but if it doesn't really matter if Miss Julie's like, hey, I can take him right now or I can take him in 20 minutes, then ask him. Our kids have very little opportunities in their lives to make choices. And it is fun to make choices. It's fun to be in control. So as much as possible, give your child choices. And it could even be small things like, yep, we're still gonna go to guided reading right now. But hey, do you wanna sit in this chair or this chair? Do you wanna write with blue pen or purple pen? Do you wanna start on your book or start on the word wall activity? So give a lot of choices as they're transitioning because we're kind of giving that control back. And part of that like unwanted transition is losing control. So when we give some aspects of that control back to them, Number four is offer the reinforcer before the transition. And again, especially for that preferred to unpreferred. So, hey, I know we're leaving tech time now, and I know that you love the computer, but after guided reading groups, if you earn all your tokens, we can you can earn computer again. So we're telling them right away, like, hey, don't worry, you're going to have a chance to get something awesome again. If you're transitioning just from two, you know, neutral activities, Still, you know, queuing in, like, remember, we got our token chart or we got our tallies or we've got our tickets. Remember, we're we're at eight tickets. If we get to 10, you earn break time or you earn Play-Doh. So before we're seeing those problem behaviors, we're queuing in to that reinforcer. And this is a nice way to ensure that we're using reinforcement and not bribery. If problem behaviors start and we're like, hey, you know, if you stop tantruming or you stop yelling, you can go use computer, And they're like, okay, cool, I'll stop yelling or tantruming so I can get computer. That there is a bribe because we haven't seen the desired behaviors yet. But if we're like, hey, you know, if you transition using a calm body and using your good choices, then after our next activity, you can get computer time. So we want to see those desired behaviors first before we give the reinforcer. Number five is give the expectations for the transition. And I think we need to do this more often than we think. So as we're approaching the transition, maybe before you even leave the table, talking through the steps of what you're going to do. Okay, guys, we just finished our science group. Everyone's going to stand up. They're going to walk over to their schedules on the board. You're going to cross off science group and you're going to see what you have next and then walk over to that station. So really talk them through the steps of what's going to happen and remind them of the expected behaviors and the good choices. You know, while we're checking our schedules, we're going to have a quiet voice. We're going to only cross off things on our own schedule. We're going to walk right to the schedule without touching the markers. I know it's fun to play with the markers, but we're going to go right to the schedule and then when we see what's next we see oh group time is next we're gonna walk right over to group time not go anywhere else and sit in our chair so really talk through not only the kind of the behaviors you expect to see of physically moving around the room but those choices like I'm gonna have a quiet voice I'm gonna not get distracted by other items And do that on a regular basis. I think sometimes we do a really good job of doing this in the fall, in August, September, and then we just kind of, you know, we get in our routines as well. But our kids still need that reminder, especially on Mondays, especially after, you know, winter break, spring break, and after having a hard day. Like if you're just in a mood, sometimes it's nice to have that extra reminder. Number six ties right with number five. We also want to model the transitions. So for some of our kids, that verbal language of talking through the transition might be too much. So you might want to model... Okay, we're going to stand up and then you physically stand up. We're going to walk over to our schedules on the board. You walk over to the schedules on the board. We're going to cross off science groups and then you model crossing off science groups. I'm going to look at what's next and walk to that table. And you, you do that. So for our kids with lower receptive language processing, instead of having to rely on all that verbal language, they're watching you go through the steps. We talk so much about how kids with autism benefit from visual prompts Well, that's a visual prompt. You going through the steps is a visual prompt. And that's a visual prompt that requires no laminating, no board maker, no prep time. Takes two seconds and can be so, so successful with our kids. So if our kids get stuck at any point of that routine, they're like, oh, yeah, next I'm supposed to walk over to the group timetable. So number seven, we're kind of moving towards, you know, what happens if problem behaviors do happen. Do not physically move the student. This is kind of one of my pet peeves. It's tempting with the little babies when they're like three, four years old. You're like, come on, I'll just pick you up and move you over to circle time It might work when they're four. It's not going to work when they're 14. It's going to become dangerous when they're 14. So even with our babies, we really want to start having them do these transitions independently without being physically moved. Maybe some partial physical prompts or some, you know, holding their hand or kind of guiding their back a little bit. That's okay. But as far as physically moving a child that's, you know, maybe engaging now in problem behaviors, one, we are potentially causing a dangerous situation by physically moving a child who's upset. But something about that transition is becoming really aversive. So in those situations where problem behaviors are really erupting and it's the temptation there to just physically move a student, I want you to go back through one through six of those tips that I just said. Those were really the proactive antecedent-based strategies and really build up on those ones and think about how can I add more choices? How can I add more visuals or schedules? What reinforcers can I offer that I haven't? And we want to look at what missing things or what we might be able to kind of amp up so we don't get to that point when negative behaviors happen. Instead of physically moving the student, if the child starts to resist the transition, we want to look at, you know, functions of behavior. Is this an escape behavior? Do they not want to go to the next area? Is this attention? You know, are they getting attention from engaging in problem behaviors during the transition? And watch and wait. Step back a minute. You know, maybe you haven't really given that processing time, which was one of our steps too. So see when you step back and give them some time before jumping in and physically intervening, What do they do? And if it's that escape behavior, they just don't want to go to that next center, see how you can make that next center or activity more reinforcing. If Johnny loves Thomas the Train, well, guess what? Guided reading groups today, we're reading a Thomas the Train book. If Johnny loves... Minecraft. At math, we're doing a math lesson that's all about Minecraft. So we're going to make the escape less reinforcing because we're going to make the activities we're transitioning to more exciting, more fun, more engaging. So that's a nice way to really do that. If there's an attention component, you know, remove as much attention as you can and wait it out. When they start to engage in anything that looks like transitioning, even if it's just like getting up from the floor, if they were, you know, laying starfish in the middle of the floor refusing to transition, the second they sit up, you're like, oh my God, that's great. Keep going. You know, we want to reinforce those successive approximations towards the behavior we want to see. Sometimes we get stuck like, no, I'm not going to give any attention or praise or reinforcement until we see the whole behavior of transitioning. Well, that's a big jump. If we're going from tantruming on the floor to a full, complete, perfect transition, we're going to have to give some reinforcement in between to get us there, right? That's a big jump to make. So we want to give that reinforcement as we're working towards that big behavior we want to see. So those are my seven tips. Really, one was, only one was focused on what happens after, but My hope and really looking at evidence-based practices as well is that when we rely on antecedent-based interventions, so things that happen before the behavior could even occur, is we're a lot more likely to be successful. So looking at that processing time, choices, giving the expectation, the schedules, when we really work on all of that, we're going to be much less likely to see those problem behaviors happen during a transition. So your call to action. Think about those first six tips and just pick one. Like what can you get better at? Like there's always going to be one you, you and your team, especially, even if it's not just you, can become better at. Maybe it's the choices. Maybe it's the processing time. So pick one step this week to really focus on. Talk to your staff about it and say, hey, guys, we're going to, from now on, we're going to always give a choice during a transition. It can be something as silly as you want to write in crayon or you want to write in pencil. But we're going to always give a choice during a transition to give kids some control and the opportunity to make choices that affect their day. So let's get in there. Let's work on these transitions. Let me know how it goes. And I think you're going to be really excited with how successful it can be to focus on the proactive. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback.